0: there, and welcome to a re-wrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on Newstalk ZB in a sillier package. I am Glen ZB, and this morning... Uh, there's a lot of debate stuff going on, obviously, with uh, debates in the US and here. Um, there's polls, 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 always with the polls, and a little bit of um, COVID-19 theory versus reality, courtesy of Mike Hosking. But yes, uh, so let's crack into the debates. Debate part two, return of the killer debate. Um, did Dern return with any killer instinct?
1: Hard to know whether the feisty nature of debate two came from the fact that Dern lost the first one or whether they'd both been watching and taking tips from Trump and Biden, but from the bell the exchange was on last night, wasn't it? And dare I suggest it. But my advice out of last week's debate, which was soporific and geriatric in its pace, was immeasurably improved by a moderator who was engaged, had a question line, and was holding both combatants to account. Pace puts people on their toes. And we saw the results. Good to see the gloves off as well. Adurn learned her lesson out of debate one, where she was either tired, asleep, or arrogant, or all of the aforementioned, but she was back. The trouble she faces... And Colin's early barb of manners was her weak point or her vulnerability. I mean, for a person who wanted kindness and positivity, has let that charade slip all week, and last night we saw more of it. It also reflects the polls. The centre-left, of course, has lost momentum. The centre-right is on the rise. The gap is closing. What was a cakewalk has shrunk to an easy win, which has shrunk to a likely win, which is far shrinking to a tight race. So the pressure's on, and you're seeing it in the way Adern operates and presents herself. Collins last week, and thank God for this, has shaken off the advice she was clearly getting and sadly taking from people in her office that don't have a clue and is back to the old crusher. Nothing beats authenticity, and people can see it, feel it from a mile off. She's getting better the more natural she is. Adern, alternatively, is starting to sweat, doesn't suit her. She's suffered badly on the wage subsidy, everyone seems to agree, the company's taking it and making a profit is bad. Adun didn't like it, and yet she was the one that set the rules. And then she said she wouldn't do anything about it. Collins would. That's the trouble with being in power. You've got to defend your policies, and Adun criticised something she created and yet wouldn't fix. Theory versus reality, a weak point of the past three years. Ultimately, though... You would struggle to call the winner out of Adoon and Collins. Both held their ground well on everything from cannabis to health and cancer to housing. Although if you had to, if you said you've got to pick a winner right now, Collins takes it just. Both made good points. Both responded well to pressure. Both said they'd investigate Pharmac, which to be frank looked like investigations on the hoof to look good. Reminded me of the last time when Adoon promised a second pipeline in Auckland for the petrol. Did it happen? Of course it didn't. But in the heat of the moment, you're prone to saying a lot of mad stuff that will never see the light of day. Which really is why... Patrick Gower was the ultimate winner. He held them to account, and my God, these past three years, the mainstream media has failed abysmally on that front, so in a tiny way, he made up for that last night.
0: OK, so props to Paddy Gower there. What about uh, Chris Wallace? Um, he had a slightly bigger job on his hands trying to keep a former vice president and a current president under control.
1: And I think everybody agreed he failed. Uh, who wouldn't do we have a winner in Cleveland welcome to that shortly but Trump v Biden lived up to the hype didn't it the biggest loser was Chris Wallace who had a nigh on impossible job to contain the madness the mistake that was made was setting segments with topics they started with the Supreme Court but barely covered it As both candidates let rip at each other, the animosity took about three seconds to emerge. Wallace threw his hands up, insisted he was the moderator, looked exasperated and generally failed to contain the scrap. This, by the way, wasn't his fault. I felt scared for the next two moderators, by the way, as well. Trump was Trump. He bullied his way. He cajoled. If you want a bulldozer in a debate, he's your man. Biden looked initially frustrated, but used a clever tactic to stare down the camera, talk to the folks at home a lot, probably the best thing he could have done. In the COVID segment... Trump managed to take the death rate, in what generally has been seen as a disaster, and managed to turn it into an anti-democratic rant over closed towns and states. He made a segment that could have gone badly seem remarkably successful. This sort of stuff happened a lot. I mean, there was nuance and subtlety in each of the so-called segments, if you wanted to see it, but in reality, both held their ground, mainly. Both made reasonable points, both made up for the fact there was no energy coming from an audience that under normal circumstances would have been all over this, as a scrap. It was good tally. When Trump raised Burisma, Biden struggled, as did Wallace, who clearly was over his job and I suspect wanted to go home. He complained of the raised voices and the interruptions. He kept telling them about the change of segments and how each had two minutes uninterrupted. No two minutes went uninterrupted, and I doubt there's a single person who could have told you what the segment was meant to be about. They could have started any of the segments with any topic. Oranges, supersonic aircraft, primates of Papua New Guinea, didn't matter. Took on a life of its own each and every time. Trump in general... Defended his record well, and he highlighted the Biden problems well. Biden was more defensive than offensive, and given the perceived weaknesses of the Trump administration, he could have done a lot more. Trump called Biden on a lot of issues. Many he came back well on, some he didn't. The value of the debate was you saw the two men in the same room going head-to-head under pressure on their toes. What they said was not unique and was nothing that hadn't been seen or heard before separately, but eyeball to eyeball, it was gripping. It was a slugfest. It was a heavyweight title fight. Ultimately, no one got knocked down except Chris Wallace, who was out for the count and concussed about 30 minutes in, and if he's lucky, he won't remember a thing about it. But on points, I think Trump got it. But like boxing and calling Trump on points, that's probably controversial. I doubt votes got swayed, but like, I suspect millions... I'll be back for round two in a couple of weeks.
0: Uh, that's assuming there is a round two uh, with many media outlets calling for the rest of the debates to be canned because they were so disappointed <laughs> It's a behaviour. Ah, 2020. The year that just keeps on, I was going to say giving, is it giving
1: or taking? I'm not sure. Anyway, will it give us uh, cannabis? Will it give us minor parties? So a couple of polls, uh, the cannabis poll second cannabis poll out yesterday, News Hub Read Research poll, 50 plays 37 50% no, or a bit, bit more than 50 actually 50.5 versus 37.9 say yes, so 30, uh, 51 plays 37 uh, matches with the Colmar Brunton poll which is 53.35. I think we can probably come close to calling this one I'm not calling anything yet, there's still a couple of weeks to go, but I think if anything can be called, New Zealand First can be called, and that can probably be called, and euthanasia's uh, across the line by a mile. A couple of Maori Party polls, and we've not, well we're say Maori Party, Maori television polls involving the Maori Party, they're not going to win a thing. Uh, they're not going to get 5%, and I don't think they're going to win a seat. In Ikaro Rafati, uh, the Maori television poll has got Mikafaitari at 46 plays 19, a 27% gap, so you'd have to think that's done and dusted. Tita Hauru. Uh, Labor are up by not as much 38.20, and there's a fairly high undecided number. So I'm sure the Maori Party would argue. But here's my here's my thinking on the Maori Party and why. I mean, none of the small parties are going to make the 5% threshold, fairly obviously. Not top, not advanced New Zealand, none of the new Conservatives, forget them. This is not the election for new parties to make a noise. This is a COVID election, and they're not going to get a look in. The Maori Party have timed this badly as well. What made the Maori Party successful in the first point, if if, if the first time if you remember, was the foreshore and seabed. It was anger. It was fury, and that's what corralled the Maori vote. There is nothing at the moment to make Maori particularly angry. Traditionally, the Maori seats have been with the Labour Party. They're currently with the Labour Party. Labour has done nothing particularly to upset Maori. They've showered them with money. New Zealand First has tried their best to shower them with money as well. But they're not angry. They're not upset. They've not a reason. They haven't got a reason to go anywhere. And so the Maori Party have missed the boat and missed the point. The anger that drove the initial success is not there now. Therefore, there is no reason to shift your vote. So therefore, they won't. So therefore, none of the small players is going to find their way into Parliament, which then, of course, once again brings into question the whole MMP business. What's the point of a system that encourages lots of small parties when there aren't any more new small parties?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess in theory, uh, we wanted... It's so, uh, a little bit of minority voice out there, but unfortunately all too many times uh, that minority has held sway over the majority and we don't like that so much. So yeah, it's, it's your classic theory versus reality situation. And uh, Mike uh, has spotted
1: another one of those this morning too. Great segue, Glenn ZB. COVID-19 patients are currently occupying fewer, this is Britain, fewer than 2% of all hospital beds in England. And you would think that uh, if you look at the numbers, it's a disaster, death is looming. It's not. 478 out of 110,000 beds were for COVID patients as of September 3. Even at the peak of the crisis in Britain, only a quarter of all beds were ever occupied by virus patients. Remember what we did in this country? A couple of thousand beds, everyone got cleared out. Now, all over the world, you've got a waiting list miles long, months long, years long, of people who didn't get treatments dealt to or conditions dealt to, because all the beds were empty, just waiting for the ICUs to be overrun and the people to die. And of course, it never happened. And the other thing that I'm reading at the moment, which is fascinating, is doctors are learning more. And I mean, I suppose this isn't a surprise. When you start with a disease, you don't know what's going on. After you've dealt with it for months on end, you do know what's going on, or at least you're learning. So they're improving care. They're saving more lives. The percentage of people diagnosed with COVID, this is internationally, is dropping There's better use of oxygen, there's better use of intensive care, and there are better use of uh, some of the treatments as well. And yet, when you look at governments around the world, the fear factor is still the one that's peddled. I mean, some some are not necessarily the same as we are. Morrison's trying to open the borders and get some people in without quarantine. Trump's argued all along that they need to open. But there's a lot of governments with a lot of fear around the world, but it's based on what we didn't know. And we didn't know anything. But now we do. So why hasn't the um, the whole mood shifted? Why hasn't the approach shifted? I note the government, ironically, yesterday, was still barking at business, telling them to put the QR codes up. Who's really using a QR code now? What do you reckon the percentage of people going into a shop using the QR code every time is? It's next to none. I was in the mall yesterday. There are no masks, and no one's using the QR code anymore. So what's the point? Theory? Versus reality
0: Uh, Personally I am still scanning my QR code And I am still wearing a mask uh, In those sorts of public places And what's changed for me Is that I've gone from um, Feeling okay about it To just feeling like a real dick Because like Mike says Nobody else seems to be But I'm still doing it I'm Glenn ZB Uh, Join me Scan Mask up And help me not feel so self conscious. And I'll see you back here again for another rewrap tomorrow.